helping small businesses grow with Dan Lozier on Kelly Bagley's Go Legal Yourself podcast. Welcome to the Go Legal Yourself podcast. This show is about knowing the legal life cycle of your business. Welcome to the Go Legal Yourself podcast. I'm your host and legal friend, attorney Kelly Bagler, also known as the queen of business law. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Dan Lozier. Dan is the director of sales and marketing for a company called Primary Funding Corporation. It is a factoring business. And this is where Dan has actually successfully funded over 100 small businesses. Wow, that's that's pretty impressive. The title of today's episode is going to be Helping Small Businesses Grow. And I know everyone that's listening to this, you're, you're just sitting or driving and, and you're excited to listen to Dan because who doesn't need help growing their small business? Welcome to the show, Dan. Thanks so much, Kelly. I'm excited to be on. Do you have a attorney joke or a quote to share with us? I have both. You'll have to forgive me. My attorney jokes aren't, aren't the best. Um, they never but- are, are they? <laughs> <laughs> so how many lawyer jokes are in existence? How many, Dan? are only three. All the rest are true stories. <laughs> that will never get sold. Exactly. Right. And would you like to share a quote as well? Yeah, actually, it's a, a quote um, that like resonated back in high school when I was playing sports and certainly um, remains true for me now to this day. But uh, it's one that I repeat a lot. Um, it's hard work outperforms talent every time. That's perfect. That's perfect. Talking about talent. Did you know that Michael Jordan, when he was in high school, he was rejected from the high school basketball team? Did you know that? I did. Yeah. And and he thought it was because of his height. That didn't dissuade him. He continued to practice and practice and practice. And he actually found out it was because he was a sophomore. That's why he got rejected. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean... Thank God that he, you know, had the perseverance and just will and, and work ethic to continue to to pursue basketball. Could you imagine, you know, life without Michael Jordan? I mean, that's that's would be insane to think about. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. He defines success as he failed multiple times, multiple, multiple times. And that's why he's successful today. Isn't that pretty incredible? It's embarrassing for for me to say, but, you know, growing up, uh, I guess it's just a representation of maybe how sheltered I was. But, you know, in high school, I never really understood what hard work meant until I was like, you know, in my early to to mid 20s. Um, And then you start, you know, obviously through just the development and access through technology and just into like inside people's lives like Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant. And you hear, you know, them talk about their their work ethic and the schedule that they kept to it, it was eye-opening and, and shocking to me. Again, it's a little embarrassing to say, but it's like, I remember Kobe was talking about, you know, how his, his schedule was and how he thought about it is if he started at 4 a.m., you know, he had, we'd get a training session in at four, he would go, you know, have breakfast and then do, do everything with his kids and then be back out at, at like eight or nine or something. He was in his mind, he thought about, look, I'm getting two other two additional training sessions in before my competitions. I'm not even my teammates are even getting up. He said, you know, over the short period, that doesn't sound like a lot. But 
years into it, there's no way that anybody can ever catch up to me if I'm if I'm sticking to that schedule. And again, I mean, it's just understanding like what actual hard work is. And, you know, again, it's it's cliche to say, but it's really, you know, the stuff that you do when when nobody is is around, nobody's watching. It's early in the morning. It's after hours. And it's, you know, on the weekends uh, when everybody else is, you know, just trying to hang out with the family or take time off. I mean, those are that's the time that that really counts. And as soon as I really understood that a lot of things kind of just snowballed and dominoed from just like a, a quote unquote success standpoint, uh, and certainly in, in business as well. This is a perfect segue into our candid discussion, Dan. America is born on the backbones of entrepreneurs. It's the small businesses that make America great, and it will continue to be small businesses. And you are in the business of helping small businesses grow. That seems to be a huge, either an issue, problem, just a, a gigantic mountain that these small businesses find in front of themselves because they don't have the capital to grow. Right? Capital is everything. They don't have the money to grow. They work hard, like you just said, before working hours, after working hours, on weekends, they work really, really hard just to be rejected by the traditional banks. Now, before we go into how you help small businesses grow, share with us what factoring is. And it's I, I learned of the word or the business, if you will, probably back, I'm going to say about 10 years ago. And prior to that, I'm, I'm an attorney, right? I didn't even know what factoring was. So please share with us what is factoring. Yeah, you know, Kelly, that's um, honestly a very common thing. I mean, I'll, I'll have conversations with prospects and people just out and out in the community. And I'll say like, yeah, I'm, I'm in factoring. And they kind of pause and look at me and just say, so you work in a factory? That's just the, the name of the industry. Um, so, I mean, education, really understanding what factoring is, is a big piece of, of just what I do and what I enjoy to do. But yeah, I mean, to back up, factoring is is an a form of alternative financing and alternative being to what you were talking about, traditional bank lending. So like a Bank of America or Wells Fargo um, were an alternative for the, for that type of um, lending when, you know, small businesses or businesses are not able to actually obtain that. We're also an alternative to equity. So a lot of times, too, you know, as small businesses are continuing to grow and they need that capital, they'll look at one, the traditional route or two, maybe going and trying to raise um, capital through giving away equity. And so we're an alternative to those two solutions. What factoring is from a very technical standpoint is we're buying an asset from the our actual client itself. So the specific asset that we're looking at purchasing is what's what's called an accounts receivable. So after a company has actually either delivered a product or performed on the service and has billed their client, um, prior to all of that, there's negotiations up front of what the actual payment terms are going to be. So common payment terms are like net, net 30, net 60, net 90, which means that once the product, if we take a manufacturing company as an example, but once the manufacturing company, the small business has made the product and delivered it to their customers, they're agreeing and saying, hey, Mr. Customer, I will allow you 30 days if it's on net 30 terms to pay me for that work or for that those products, which Again, I mean, if we look at it in this, the grand scheme of things, I mean, they're allowing their customers to delay, delay payment for them for or, or units that they've already invested a lot of money in. And so a lot of times, you know, bigger retail shops like a, like a Walmart or a Costco are going to dictate those those types of terms for small businesses. 
um, which is great. I mean, everybody's super excited when a Costco comes around and, and, you know, issues their first PO and then they spend all of their money delivering and fulfilling on that PO. And then Costco says, thank you, small business. We're going to pay you in, in 30, which actually means probably about 40 days. Um, and then the, the small business is sitting there, you know, waiting to get paid because now it's fine if it's a very linear transaction or one-off transaction, but now if another customer comes in and wants to place an order for the small business, all of their cash is tied up in AR. They're not able to take on the new business or growth opportunities. And that's really where we step in. So they have, they have this asset, a current asset. So very close to being cash that's known as an AR that they're just waiting. Receivable. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Please, please. I'll, I'll use jargon. So please. uh, That's okay. The PO is a purchase order. And Dan, you're absolutely right. A small business needs liquid, right? They need liquidity. They need cash in hand, the cash in the bank. Because as you just said, there's going to be another purchase order. There's going to be probably two or three, but yet all of their money is tied up in that one big sort of order and they have to sit and wait for it. So this is where you come in. And I think this is a brilliant idea. No, absolutely. And again, to, to your earlier point, the education factoring industry has, has been around for hundreds of years and it's, you know, predominantly driven or grew up in the textile industry, but has obviously grown into other industries. But the education piece of it is is a huge, huge thing. A lot of people are completely unaware of it. Uh, and then the reality of the situation, too, is that factoring can have a negative connotation to it if if it's not utilized appropriately. Um, and again, that's where I get really passionate about what, what we do. It's a niche market. I mean, as we were talking about before, in a situation where like a restaurant or a bar or a food truck, they're delivering to actual individuals like you and I or consumers. So they have what's called as you know direct to consumer sales or business to consumer. Well, factoring really only applies to companies that are selling to other businesses, which in our world, what we refer to as business to business or B2B sales. So just right off the jump, you know, factoring eliminates more than 50% of the businesses out there that are selling direct to consumers. Really what I enjoy doing is talking through a specific situation with the small business and trying to figure out like, hey, maybe factoring works or maybe we have to go to a different sort of asset based lending product, also known as ABL. But really getting into the weeds with these small businesses, understanding their situation and being candid of, hey, I like factoring because, you know, one, you're having AR, AR out, you can monetize that AR quickly, and you're really only taking a small discount of about 2% in order to obtain the additional growth. Or on the inverse side of it saying, hey, you know what, Mr. or Mrs. Small Business, this doesn't really fit because the large majority of your sales are going direct to consumer. So now we have to figure out a different financing solution. Perfect. So what you do is you provide a solution for a short-term problem, but that short-term problem, again, not being liquid, not having the money and waiting for that money to secure the next order, people aren't going to stick around and say, okay, well, Mr. and Mrs. Small Business Owners, we'll, we'll wait for you until you get your AR, right, from the big conglomerate, and they do it all over again with the next one. No one's going to wait. Everybody wants things ASAP, right? And then everybody wants to pay, like you said, net 30, 40, 60, even 90 sometimes. People love stories. And I think sharing through a story of exactly what factoring is, is going to resonate with people. So Dan, share with us a story of one of your clients, maybe a favorite client that you're able to help and um, how are they doing today? 
I've got a couple. <laughs> so, you know, a very easy one to understand is we are, um, we've been working with a temporary staffing company. So if you look at just their industry, they bring on employees and then place them at whatever industry that they're wanting to service. In this specific scenario, um, the company was looking at uh, placing their employees within the technology space. So working with like Netflix and Twitters and, and you know, companies of, of that size. It was a small company and started really seeing some some growth. They wanted to get out on their own. So the actual operating, quote unquote, operating history of the business was less than six months. So, you know, in that situation, a traditional bank is probably not going to be able to help. I was just going to say a bank isn't even going to say hello to you until you have an X amount of money generated. And then on top of that, you have to be in business for X amount of time, too. So I'm, I'm so glad you touched upon that. Yeah, absolutely. We, we can we can definitely get into the parameters of, of traditional bank lending because, um, I mean, that's that's part of the education as well. But for this client, I mean, they they had the industry experience. They, they broke out on their own, started their their new business where really you think about how quickly they can ramp. So if they get, you know, a contract with, let's say, an, a Netflix to staff five employees, so that's just five people, they may have the cash and capital on hand. Their biggest quote-unquote operating or working capital expense that they had was to meet payroll on a weekly basis. So they had enough capital to, to really start. But as they started getting more and more contracts and additional additional contracts and needing to staff more and more people, well, their payroll started to increase, right? And so now they're forecasting and saying, hey, we, we had enough money to service this one contract, you know, because of Netflix's repayment terms of whatever it was, net 15, net 30, we still have to pay these other employees, the new employees that we're staffing on a weekly basis. So how are we going to do that? And then that's where we stepped in and said, hey, we can help monetize and really grow with you. Again, the beautiful thing about factoring is we're looking at the company's AR levels and can scale according to that. And AR is directly tied to top line revenue. So as their AR grows, our facility and how much we can actually provide them on a capital standpoint will grow with that in lockstep which is really great for high growth scenarios. So in this situation, they're good operators. They had the industry experience, had the connections. They knew that they were going to grow and they started to grow. We stepped in and really started monetizing their AR so they could not only meet their existing payroll, but they had cash in the bank and for the confidence to take on new additional orders. God, that was probably 2019. They're, they're still an existing client, one of our absolute favorite clients to work with. And they're growing like crazy. We're now having, you know, funding or helping them fund, God, probably like 10 or 15 of their contracts and just seeing them grow rapidly, which is really fun. We're, we're on, on the podcast, so people can't really see, but I mean, I'm like smiling ear to ear. You like, are. <laughs> yeah. but you, we can hear it. We can hear the passion in your voice. And that's what I, I love about uh, interviewing guests just like you. So would you say it's fair to say, Dan, that the asset that you bring in, that factoring can bring in, is it more of a temporary loan or a loan that can grow with the business? It's probably more appropriate to, to tie it or I guess compare it to a line of credit. Okay. Bear with me as I try to walk through this. So if we think about where at the point in time that we're stepping in and monetizing AR. So a company has done what they need to do in this case, you know, again, the, the temporary staffing company has placed their employees, they're billing for their hours. And now we're saying like, Hey, 
you know, we're going to help you um, with that cash upfront today. So we're funding our clients. And then really what pays down the line is their customers sending that payment 30 days later. So as Netflix pays, that creates availability and access for them to actually redraw on that. So it operates more in a, in a manner of a line of credit and it's tied to the company's operating cycle, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Like I said, it's a brilliant concept. And Primary Funding Corporation, it's a family-owned business, isn't it? And it's been around for, what, 25 plus years? Yeah, it's... um. Yeah, I know. I'm super excited that you brought it up. I mean, that's that's one of the things that attracted you know me and, and the rest of our employees and certainly something that we're all really proud of. Uh, we're a small business in and of ourselves. So, you know, not only are we talking to small businesses and, and trying to learn about their situations and helping them grow, but we've gone through a lot of them and are continuing to experience a lot of the, the challenges that small businesses face on a day to day, too. So it's easy for us to really acknowledge and understand and sympathize and empathize with our with our clients and i think it brings just a different level of a relationship because we're a small business helping small businesses but yeah i mean to your point we've been around for 26 years actually the founder of our company is a woman by the name of patricia burns she started within the industry well, I think worked her way through in a different organization. She was ready to break out on her own, um, had a really good mentor, I think, at the time. She ended up splitting with with them on, on very friendly terms and starting primary funding. And I mean, honestly, she was a, a woman in a male-dominated industry that just through grit and tenacity and intelligence and perseverance, like we were talking about before, the hard work, the things yep. that... Nobody sees. I mean, she did and she grew this business like crazy, which is so cool. And, you know, unfortunately, in the end of of 2013 or 2012, I may be getting those years confused. She actually suffered a massive stroke. And so her son-in-law, who was working at California Bank and Trust at the time, he ended up coming over and just really trying to assess the situation while while Pat was recovering and, and trying to figure out if she was ever going to be able to, you know, come back into a full working capacity. I think it was, you know, close to a year later, they, the doctors and I think Pat made the determination that like, hey, you know, I'm just never going to really be able to come back and, and work in the capacity that that I am. You know, luckily, Jason had the obviously the financial skill set um, understanding of, of kind of what factoring was and certainly had, you know, the network and connection in San Diego. Uh, so he was able to take over the business. And, you know, shortly after him, I, I joined and I always say I was young and dumb at the time. So I joined. <laughs> I didn't even know what, again, to your point, I didn't know what factoring was. I didn't know what AR was. I grew up in this industry. And then, you know, nine, 10 years later, here, here we are. So it's it's such a cool story for for anybody that's willing to, to listen and and um, I mean you, you think about just what Pat again Patricia Burns our founder was able to do in this industry and it's it, it's it's amazing I mean I, I get kind of emotional about it just because it's it's really cool and but she was definitely a pioneer in this space and and we're just hoping that we can continue her her legacy Patricia needs to be commended every factoring company that I have come across and is probably maybe about six or seven of them, since uh, I found out what factoring was 10 years ago, they're all male-dominated, all of them. As a female business owner, I'm an attorney, but what sets me apart is I am a small business owner as well. I have started and I own a couple of businesses. And so I can be at the same starting level 
with my clients that are trying to start a business, that, that they want to either start to grow a business or they want to, you know, eventually retire and sell the business. I see it from their perspective. You know, I am a business owner, just like you said, so is primary funding corporation. That's what really sets you apart. And I absolutely love that and that, that you mentioned that because when it comes to money, it's always been a touchy subject with, with people. It doesn't matter who they are. In fact, I think uh, money, budgeting, financing, all of this sh should be taught in high school. I don't know why the high school students are not being taught the value of a dollar right? Or how do you budget? If you're, if you're given your weekly allowance, what are you going to do with that? How do you save? Could you imagine if you started saving when you were 13, 14, 15 years old? You'd be a millionaire by now, but nobody taught me that, right? And I'm sure nobody taught you either. So I think that's a huge, massive gap in our education system. And I think, Dan, I'm creating work for you, Dan. I highly, highly think that there's a massive gap in the education of young people, of students at high school level, maybe any high school in San Diego County should at least bring you in and, and talk to the students about budgeting, about saving, about, you know, how, how do you spend and where do you spend and, and, and what does it mean, you know, sort of what, what is money going to mean as they continue to grow and they have dreams as well. This is, it's a huge opportunity for you, huge. And I think with your reputation, you know, primary funding corporations' reputation, being a small business owner, having a, a woman, you know, create a company in a male-dominated sector, it's it, it's giving me gooses, right? It truly is because it, what what a beautiful story, and yeah. you're continuing on the legacy of Patricia, absolutely. Now, during the COVID time, everyone was hurting for money. Everyone was hurting. How were you able to step in and sort of um, stop the bleeding for some small businesses? It's a great question. Um, and during that time, there, there was a couple different factors that, that played a role. I mean, obviously, when the pandemic first happened and the shutdown first happened, everything just kind of froze, right? I mean, even from an individual standpoint, you just kind of want to take a lay of the land and really understand what was going on. And I think that was certainly true with small businesses as well. There was definitely an impact in our portfolio of, you know, large retailers. It's kind of similar doing similar what, what the individual and small businesses were doing, taking a, a step back and, and really trying to assess the situation. But we saw a number of large box retailers and, and large organizations that our clients were selling to extend repayment terms, which had such a negative impact on a lot of our customers. Um, so we saw repayment terms going from net 45 to net 60, um, which were normal to like net 90 and potentially net 120 days. So now they're protracting almost twofold how long our clients were getting paid. Uh, and in those types of situations, again, we are a small business trying to help small business. We're, we're very focused on our, our relationships and keeping those intact. You know, I remember when this first was going on is just getting on phone calls with clients, having them walk us through the situation um, and then us collaboratively saying, OK, well, what do we need to do to help? Well, we can certainly, you know, help monetize this. We can uh, delay things on our end. So we just got creative and really tried to make sure that we were helping our, our existing clients. Um you know, later on, as uh, the government started uh, 
distributing out free money in the forms of PPP and EIDL and disaster relief loans. We saw just with new business that a lot of businesses were being able to rightfully so get that get that capital and inject that into into their organization. And so for for us from like bringing on new business, we saw that there was a lot of liquidity, cheap liquidity or free liquidity out in the marketplace. And so that had a delay on bringing us new clients, understandably so. And then now towards the kind of tail end where we're having conversation with with new businesses or new clients that are saying, hey, we we burned through our PPP where, you know, our, our PPP is not getting forgiven. Uh, and then we're, we're needing to now start looking at factoring or alternative financing solutions. So, you know, there's there, there was a lot in that um, with our existing clients. I mean, it was definitely having collaborative conversations, understanding their pain points and making sure that we were there to support them with new businesses as well. I mean, I had conversations with people and it's one that sticks out in particular. It's I was having a conversation with them before the pandemic, really the shutdown happened, definitely staying in touch with them. And then I remember getting on the phone with him probably September, October of, of last year. And he's like, Dan, I just got you know half a million dollars in, in PPP money. I, I really don't need your services at the time. I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use us either. I mean, that's right. good. I mean, that's capital under your company. So a lot of different, different conversations, but again, I think it was more important for us to be a resource and, and a partner for for people. Fantastic, Dan. Is there anything else you would like to share with us? Talking about just some of the challenges as it relates to, like we were talking about before, getting a, a traditional bank line of credit. I always tell people, you know, that if you can go go there. Um, this is definitely a situation where banks are going to be able to provide the, the cheapest form of capital, which is you know putting the business first, the best option for for you to go. Again, banks. Because of their their cost of capital or how much they're charging is is so cheap, um, they really have a very small margin of error, um, which makes their underwriting cr- criteria rightfully so uh, a little bit more stringent. Um, so, like you were saying, their banks, traditional banks, want to see at least two years of operating history. They want to show that the company was profitable, and then they have some sort of equity base. Which, if we're talking about small businesses. Those three things generally aren't in line um, and usually can't be met. So we're a great alternative to that. The other conversations that I have too is, and again, sometimes I'm a terrible salesperson because I talk myself out of a job, but one, go to the bank if you can. If you can't too, let's start having conversations not only with your customers to see if there's anything that you can negotiate from a repayment standpoint, taking one of your customers from a net 30 to a net 15 repayment terms is going to help expedite and speed up cash flow. And then on the other side of the equation, let's start having some conversations with, with your suppliers or vendors. So if you can lean and get terms from your suppliers, you can lean on them and help support your cash flow needed for, for any sort of working capital expenses. So if we think about it real quick, If you're a manufacturing company and you're able to negotiate with your suppliers, let's call it net 30 repayment terms, that means that you can go to them and say, hey, hey, supplier, can you start manufacturing or send me the raw material so I can manufacture the units now? They can send you that that product on terms. You can do what you need to do. And then if you've negotiated shorter or quicker repayment terms from your customer, let's call it net 15, on day 15 of the operating cycle, you're delivering to your customer now your customer has received it, accept the goods and saying their clock is starting. If the customer pays you in time on that net 15, then that means that you can take that money and now pay your supplier who you're on net 30 terms with. And there's no need for financing that situation. You've done it internally. 
There's no additional costs or impact on the business. There's no additional financing costs necessary in that type of situation. Um, so I try to have that conversation with, with people that I talk to as well and really push them to see if they can lean on their customers or potentially their suppliers. So you, what you're saying is you're a very honest salesman. <laughs> uh, yeah, do, they, mean, do they exist, Dan? You're an example <laughs> of them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, again, it's just one of, one of our core values in, in our business is treating people the way that you want to be treated. And yes. again, we don't look at it as a sales. We look at it like, we have we have a solution. It may or may not fit. If I were in your shoes, I would want somebody to talk to me like a human being, understand where I'm coming from, and then really talking through all of the different options available. And there may be four options available to people, factoring maybe one of them, or they may not be. Or depending on the situation, you have one or two options. And let's just talk about it and have a conversation and figure out what's the best thing for the organization and your company. That's fantastic. Dan, this was so insightful. Thank you so much for shedding light on options for small business owners. And your information will be part of our show notes, but how can our listeners get a hold of you? Again, you can't tell, but I, I love what, what, what I do and just passionate and having conversations. I would never have guessed. <laughs> so please, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. You can give me a call at the office, which is 858 858- five three zero one five zero zero and I'm at extension one zero eight or you can shoot me an email which is just dlozier at primaryfunding.com. Thank you once again Dan for sharing your passion and helping small businesses so they can continue the tradition of keeping America great. And for everyone else, please, please, please make sure that you go to go legal yourself podcast.com do leave us a review and also reach out to us as well. I have answered many questions that have been posed by listeners on various topics, anything from legal to small businesses to even uh, advice on personal, believe it or not. And you can always download our app as well from your app stores. It is called Go Legal Yourself. And also, please do check out golegalyourself.com, do-it-yourself legal protection, which helps you save money and gain peace of mind. I am Attorney Kelly Bagler, the Queen of Business Law, and it has been my pleasure being your host today. Until next time, cheers to your success. If you're looking to start a podcast on your own, use the coupon code WHATHAS at checkout and receive a free month of media hosting from our recommended hosting company, Libsyn.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N.com. This podcast was produced by Imagine Podcasting, and we help businesses eliminate competition by elevating their brand message to be heard. Visit ImaginePodcasting.com for more information.